Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Yo. Hello. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, Australia has its own local and modern-day gossip girl. So what happens when influencers are determined to track her down and expose her identity? Plus, Kim Kardashian thinks Northwest is Picasso. <laughs> why the Golden Globes are more irrelevant than ever, and then why Janet Jackson was trending on Monday some 17 years after the term Nipplegate entered the zeitgeist. But first, Michelle, how was your week? Fuck the week. Let's I've talk just... about the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle's obviously in the studio too. We just spent at least two minutes feeling utterly perplexed because we were all trying to record and we heard this loud crunching sound. Should I play it for you? We heard this. (laughs) Oh, that actually. This was playing through my headphones and Misha's headphones and Annabelle's headphones for the past five minutes and we thought it was my microphone having a nibble. Turns out I had just lent on the sound effect button and it wouldn't stop. So anyway, it's meant, Mish, that I have learnt all these other sound effects today. So when you crack a bad joke, it will be... (laughs) I'm going to overuse it to the nth degree and everyone's going to be so annoyed. When I crack a good joke, it's going to be this. So we've learnt to use our own switchboard, so that's a good day. This was utterly confusing. I thought we were listening. Like, you know when sometimes when you have walkie-talkies as a kid and you accidentally connect to, like, a truck driver? Did that ever happen to you guys? I thought our podcasting switchboard had accidentally connected to someone eating, like, an apple or something in another room. That's what I thought. And I thought I was going nuts, saying, like, (laughs) is there a microphone that is invisible that is connected to an office nearby where someone's eating their lunch or something? And it's a disgusting sound, if I may play it again. No. Okay, that's actually, that is it for me. But all I want from the listeners today is to understand how many times we had to hear that because it's actually disgusting. We actually got the entire thing on video as well because we began videoing the episode on our iPhones and we were trying to figure this out. So you won't actually get audio, but maybe I'll put that up on the Instagram so people know what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, just our reactions. My recommendation for the week. Go straight into it. Pretty basic bitch one. I want to talk about framing Britney Spears, which is the brand new New York Times documentary. Yes, it is very hard to find in Australia, I must be honest it took us a lot of digging and like slight criminal behavior maybe yes (laughs) so we'll just say that much it's not easy to get your hands on I imagine it will be streaming properly soon and when we know that we'll say but for now it's hard to get your hands on yeah but if you can get your hands on it I highly recommend it I mean I don't think anything groundbreaking was broken in this documentary what I think the beauty of it is is the New York Times ability to synthesize the information that's already out there I feel like the portrait they painted of Britney's life was a harrowing and desperately sad one I think it's also one that shows that she has no control over her life and probably hasn't had control over her life for a long time even before the conservatorship not because of 
legal boundaries that were in place, but because of the paparazzi and how voraciously the media hounded her. I don't know if I'm just the one coming to this conclusion in the last few years or if we're having more documentaries like this come to the fold, but I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it's like the price of fame feels very, very high when you watch something like this and there's no money in the world that you could pay me to be hounded like she was. Yeah, we've seen the Free Britney movement really take off over the last two to three years in particular, but this documentary, I would say, has had more of an impact than anything that came before it. Britney's 27-year-old boyfriend, he's a model called Sam Asgari, came out and wrote a statement on his own Instagram page that is a definite deviation away from what we've seen from Camp Britney for a long time. He came out and he slammed her father, Jamie Spears. This is what he wrote on his Instagram page on Wednesday. Now it's important for people to understand that I have zero respect for someone trying to control our relationship and constantly throwing obstacles our way. In my opinion, Jamie is a total dick. I won't be going into details because I've always respected our privacy, but at the same time, I didn't come to this country to not be able to express my opinion and freedom. Whoa. Big, big, big news. Please watch the documentary. If you have already watched it, Come to our Instagram and tell me what the hell you think because I adore it. Zara, how was your week? Week was good. I did the thing that so many others did this week and tried that viral TikTok pasta that is absolutely everywhere. The pasta that made various European countries sell out of feta. Well, I saw this. So in case you missed it, if you're not on TikTok, but I hazard a guess you might have seen it on Instagram. That's where it is. It's everywhere now. You basically have a whole, oh gosh. This will be good. Yeah, I know. I'm losing my words already and we're only five minutes in. You get a dish and you put some tomatoes in there and a big block of feta cheese and sort of some spices and some herbs and you throw it in the oven. And I think it's like quite aesthetic to look at and that's why it's gone viral. Now, as everyone was making this on TikTok, everyone was like, this is the recipe that saw Finland sell out of feta. And I was kind of watching this being like, it looks yum. And I appreciate a lot of people would have been buying feta. But has anyone actually got the evidence to say that Finland actually sold out of feta? <laughs> like everybody's just saying this and it's like a rumour that's like caught wind and no one's actually kind of fact checking whether this is true or not. Annabelle, can we please get a live Google while we talk about this? Yes. Did Finland actually sell out of well, feta I, and do we have proof? Oh, I've obviously Googled this already oh. and there's nothing There's nothing that comes up. So I'm like, I'm not sure if it was that popular. Anyway, it is everywhere at the moment. How good was it? I would say it was quite good. It doesn't look very aesthetic when you mush it all it's together. Just, you sent me a photo and I was like, that's disgusting. It that looks like, looks like vomit. It looks like mush a bit. So it's it's basically feta, tomatoes, a bit of garlic, sometimes some oregano, salt, pepper. I added my own stuff, which is why I think it was much better than the original. You're a bit of a foodie rebel. You and Ollie are good with food and the additions you made sound delicious. Definitely add olives if you're a vegetarian. I think the olives help the salt a lot. I also added a bit of pork sausage, like pulled it out of the skin and threw it in as well, which was really good. It's quite rich. You don't need heaps, but very much recommend. Also some basil too. There's my recipe. (laughs) You saying that you pulled pork sausage out of the skin has to be one of the most uncomfortable visuals. It's actually (laughs) quite a nice thing to do from time to time it's not bad if you've ever squished it out anyway my recommendation for the the week the vegans are quaking the vegan listeners are dying honestly fair call too it's honestly like the crunching sound in the ear it is a bit like that my recommendation for the week is I finally watched The Undoing which Mm. is on Binge and Foxtel now it's with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman this was huge maybe two to three months ago so I am a bit late to the bandwagon but that said you'd never even heard of the show when I told you about it you turned to our office this week you're like I am loving The Undoing doing and everyone else in the office was like oh my god I know and you're all having a conversation and I just sat there quietly being like is this a podcast or a tv show this has completely gone over my head which makes sense because it's a scary show right and I completely opt out of scary things. Nah I wouldn't say scary because I have reached a point in my life at 26 where I don't want to watch stressful things anymore. Yes. I want to kind of exclusively dive into things that are relatively light or dramatic but I don't want anything that makes my heart go up. This is a thriller but I think it's on the softer side of thrillers. Right. Yeah so it's a six episode series it's kind of a bit of like a murder mystery New York family really really wealthy get caught up in this sort of like murder case does it give you similar vibes to The Sinner I never watched The Sinner really yeah okay that's too much psycho no 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 it's not very it's not very intense I really do promise you that it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat it you know what it's like an episode of S for you no, too much. Really? Way too much. Oh, what? my God. Too Annabelle, much. please join in with me. That's way too much. Dramatic, that show. Okay. Yeah. So perhaps not like an episode of this for you. <laughs> it's just interesting. And the whole time through the six episodes, I was doing that annoying thing of just guessing. Okay. Like every, it was him. It was her. It was him. <laughs> and by the end, I was like, I've actually picked every single character, which 
which means at some point I'll be right, but I'm also kind of wrong because I've guessed them all. Interesting. So I can watch it on Binge. Binge or Foxtel now. I think both cool. of them have a bit of overlap with some of their programs. So very much recommend that. Not a huge investment, only six episodes. So there you go. Magnifique. Look, we have a big episode ahead of us. There is so much to unpack and discuss. Shall we get into the first segment? We absolutely should. And we are starting with what is, like I said before, a bit of a modern day local gossip girl witch hunt myth. Celeb spell check. Now, this is something we haven't really touched on on the podcast, but this is absolutely something that's been bubbling away for a while. If you've never heard of Celeb Spell Check, this is an Instagram account that was created, I believe, in early 2019. It's been at least a couple of years now. What's interesting about this is the Instagram account always kind of hovered between like 1,000 followers and like 10, 11,000 followers. On one occasion, it was removed by Instagram. Someone reported it and the Instagram page just disappeared overnight and oh. a whole bunch of like a whole legion of really loyal supporters were sad. Yep. It re-emerged in 2020 in the middle of lockdown and since then has absolutely exploded. At the time of recording, I believe Celeb Spellcheck has almost 110,000 followers. This is an Instagram account growing at a rate of a few thousand people a day. Yeah, it's huge. And I think the story hit Fever Pitch this week in particular, Mish, after the Sydney Morning Herald wrote an article about it. So a journal at the Sydney Morning Herald, Lucy Manley, who's a gossip columnist, attended a dinner with Piper Heidsick, which is the classic champagne sponsor of the Australian Open. You know the Oz Open brands. Too expensive for me to remember. <laughs> yes. And I only ever hear about it so much at this time of year. <laughs> but Piper Heidsick always around in Jan. Anyway, so Piper Heidsick had one of those kind of dinners to launch the AO with some influencers. And apparently, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, it wasn't the whinging of the tennis players, and this is a quote, in lockdown that had tons wagging across the dinner table. Instead, there was much speculation about the anonymous Instagrammer behind Celeb Spellcheck, a snark account poking fun at influencers spelling errors and drip feeding gossip from Sydney and Melbourne's it crowd. This then made news across the Daily Mail, Pedestrian, I think every major news outlet in Australia. Yeah, Elle magazine, like this has really gone everywhere across the media this week. And I think Celeb Spellcheck is such a hot topic and something that so many people want to read about and talk about because it's so divisive. Celeb Spellcheck has a fiercely loyal following. So many of the people who follow Celeb Spellcheck absolutely adore her content and will defend her against her detractors. Celeb Spellcheck's detractors say that she can be overly nasty and unfairly targets a few key people in the industry. So what's interesting to me about this is that the heartland of Celeb Spellcheck content is pretty straightforward and pretty innocuous, right? So basically when influencers make embarrassing mistakes in their captions or in their Instagram stories, Celeb Spellcheck is there to pull them up on it and kind of make a joke about it. And I don't want people to think it's just spelling errors because I think that's a little bit simplistic. It's not yeah. really that. What the heartland of Celeb Spellcheck is there for is to kind of commentate and poke fun at the industry. Like, for example, my absolute favourite content is when an influencer posts a caption but includes directions from the brand. So there's more than one <laughs> example of this on Celeb Spellcheck. I'm going to read you one. This went up on an influencer's account not that long ago. Hey, babe, here's the approved caption for tonight. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. When you are working with brands, you need to get the approval of the content. But it would be like my worst nightmare for that to happen. It's pretty funny, though. It's the just old, like very human, but very funny. The old control C, control V. <laughs> Another one read, hey, babe, make sure you insert emojis and use the correct <laughs> hashtag. So stuff like that's funny. I think we can all agree. Yeah. That's not offensive. That's fine. Not all celeb spellcheck posts fall under that umbrella though. I personally would say there's three different kinds of celeb spellcheck posts. The first is that spelling faux pas, caption faux pas. The second is really fascinating inside industry information. So for example, some influencers launch businesses where they clearly just get a bunch of stock from Alibaba for like a dollar a pop then make claims that they single-handedly designed that product that's environmentally friendly, basically bullshit to their audience, put huge markups and try and profit off that audience. So Celeb Spellcheck will often kind of put posts side by side and be like, this is what we're dealing with. This is how dishonest the industry is and how much influencers can, some influencers anyway, can profit off you and be dishonest with you. So that's the second tier. The third tier of posts on Celeb Spellcheck are more of a shit posting kind of vibe. So more personal, they take little digs at how influencers do their makeup. There are photos of a certain influencer that Celeb Spellcheck's 
says can't wear makeup very well and shouldn't have a makeup deal. There's others that speculate about influencers partying behaviour. I'll put that in inverted commas. Yeah. I'm sure people can guess what that means. Posts that posit theories about who's had plastic surgery with like before and afters of different influencers' breasts. Then there's posts that kind of make nasty commentary about influencers' personalities. Admittedly, though, a lot of those posts have been deleted or archived. Yeah, and I think this is, says a lot about how big Celeb Spelltech has gotten in the last sort of few months. And it makes a lot of sense to me as to why last year in particular, the back end of last year, was kind of the time for this account to go bananas. Because I think it was, I mean, we've been in the middle of a pandemic. People are desperate for sort of like mindless, meaningless distraction, yeah. right? And I think what's been interesting about how quickly this account has grown is that it's almost got bigger than the sweet spot. Like the sweet yeah. spot was probably around 20 to 30,000 followers where she could say what she wanted. There wasn't like all these eyes on her. But now that the audience is so big, it's sparking these really interesting conversations about what you can do with an audience that big when you want to do the kinds of things that she's been doing. Yeah, and this is the interesting thing, right? I think it's easier to build an audience when you can be really rogue, where you can toe the line, push the boundaries. But once you have that big audience, it gets a lot more complicated. Yeah. And you and I would say that for Shameless. We've gotten on this podcast before and said, the stuff we covered in the first year of doing this show, we want to do now because the power changes. Yeah, well, that's we've had so many conversations back and forth and I think other people in the industry who've had similar experiences would say this. Like when you make a career out of talking about things or maybe talking about the zeitgeist, in our case, it gets to the point where we're like, are we calling someone out who is much smaller than us now and are we going to send a whole bunch of people after them? And so you have to really consider that power dynamic and I think that's what Celeb Spellchecks had to do recently too by archiving these posts. I mean, there was a quote from her recently. I think it was to the Daily Mail, Mish. I don't, I don't know whether this was on her page, but a lot of yeah. media publications are quoting this without actually crediting where it's from. But the quote that is often given to Celeb Spellcheck is that she's aware of her sometimes going over the line. So her quote is, I have definitely posted things in the past that I'm not proud of, but I do try to never cross the line. And I guess it calls into question, is it enough to say, oh, I've gone too far sometimes? Because I think it's important for us to remember as funny as so much of this is and as ridiculous and silly as so much of it is, the ones that go too far are about people's lives. Like these have real implications for the people at the centre of it sometimes. And as fine as it is to say, I'm not proud of everything I've posted, that doesn't help the people who have been really hurt by the content that's been put up. And if that content's now going up to 100,000 people, what kind of damage can you do to someone, particularly when you get to kind of sit in an ivory tower and no one can give that judgment back to you because you're completely anonymous? Well, this is the interesting thing because if you had a magazine that had a circulation of 110,000 people who are making claims about people, people would probably sue. Actually, they absolutely would mm. sue. I mean, we've seen so many defamation cases in the last few years in particular with celebrities. So it does make me wonder when the size is that big, what's the longevity of it? Because understandably, I think people who have been called out by this account want to turn around and say, okay, well, who are you then? Yeah. Which is the messy part. It's going to get really messy. Messy because these people are powerful as yeah. well. Like as much as we joke about Instagram influencers, a lot of them run in circles with a lot of money, a lot of legal backing and a vendetta. Like there is now a red X on Celeb Spellcheck's name and it's a weird place to be in that there's almost like a public witch hunt of people trying to find out who this woman is. The Daily Mail is publishing listicles of all the facts we know about her so that people can try from those lists to deduce exactly who she is. I mean, some people say this is outright bullying. Other people say it's a really important example of holding people to account. But there's a whole spectrum between those things. I think we all sit on a different place on this spectrum and I find it really interesting that so many of us have such different opinions on the one Instagram account. Now we kind of have this gossip girl mentality when it's like who is this person? We need to find out who this person is. Who is she? Who is she? And I just fucking hope like given gossip girl sorry for the spoiler but surely you've all watched it, <laughs> watched it by now. I hope it's like a damn Humphrey Me kind too. of person. Like hopefully we've used the word she in this entire conversation, but it's like an IT assistant who does not fit the, <laughs> like, the definition of celeb spellcheck by any means. I hope it's like Dwight Schrute from The Office. I, That's what I'm Oh, picturing. yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> I kind of am in two minds about this, right, because it's very understandable to me that people are being called out by this person saying, all right, well, 
let's ask for your name and let's have a look at your record. Like, are you completely clean as well? Because I think we're all inherently flawed. We all have Mm. stuff in our past that we're not proud of. And I think I understand those people wanting to expose it. But on the other hand, I really genuinely don't trust the internet. Like, I don't trust the internet when it comes to perhaps her identity being exposed and the pendulum not swinging too far. Like, I feel like we have this conversation on the podcast a lot when the pendulum swings too far and we sort of make an enemy out of one person in the eye of the storm. And that does trouble me a lot. So I don't think there's many happy endings to this like it does worry me a little bit well the thing is, is I don't trust the internet right now like we even see on celeb spell check that sometimes the comment sections can become really nasty and really personal and if that's what people are doing in her comment sections what will people do when she's revealed her detractors and it really calls into question where does celeb spell check go from here yeah. she is the most talked about person in Melbourne and Sydney pop culture right now she is a hot commodity everyone is whispering about her it kind of makes me think running an Instagram account of more than 100,000 people as the person who's mostly in charge of the shameless Instagram <laughs> account with a similar following, it's actually a huge job. And I know, believe me, if you're, <laughs> if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you are anyone who does a more important job than me, which is practically all it's of It's apples you. and oranges, let's be honest. But it is still in terms of influx of work and sort of how much time you have to dedicate. Yes, and moderation. It's time consuming. There is a whole heap of information, I'm sure, coming her way via DMs. This is a huge, huge burden on her for a time sense. And I just wonder, does she monetize the account? Like, is the next step that she starts doing ads and kind of becomes an influencer herself? If she doesn't want to do that, what's the end game? Because I do think eventually her identity will be revealed. And if it is true that she works in the media, like she's told her audience, would that affect her job prospects? Would that affect what she does next? I just wonder, like, the risks are high now and is the risk worth it? Coming up after the break, one giant Golden Globe snub. Northwest is the next Picasso and it's been a very bad week for Justin Timberlake. But first a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara Ellis with an E McDonald, what have you got for me? I've got a bunch for you today and I'm very excited to talk about them all. <laughs> My first story, Chrissy Teigen mocked by Twitter after flaunting her wealth privilege. That is from Forbes. This happened about a week ago, probably <laughs> around the time we last recorded, Mish, so this might have passed some of our listeners by. But essentially what happened, a bit of background, is on Twitter last week, Chrissy Teigen wrote, what's the most expensive thing you've eaten that you thought sucked? In a follow-up tweet, she wrote... One time, John and I were at a restaurant and the waiter recommended a nice cabernet. We got bill and it was $13,000. In capital letters, she wrote, how do you casually recommend that wine? We didn't even finish it and it had been cleared. You and I disagree on this story. Hugely. I'm kind of excited to hear where Annabelle sits as well. Look, the backlash was pretty swift. It kind of gave me Kim Kardashian partying in the middle of the pandemic vibes. Totally. Reaction was very, very similar to being basically like, How lucky are you to spend $13,000 on wine when some of us are unemployed, are not getting stimulus checks from the US government, are flailing really in the middle of this global pandemic? Some of the tweets that I found really interesting from Chrissy Teigen in response to this backlash included, hey, not everything I say on my Twitter is going to be relatable to you because it is my life and my Twitter and my stories. I see your tweets. I get your jokes. You are so funny. Yes, you really nailed me. I don't really give a shit to be honest I can't even pretend to like I can't even sit here and get on my high horse about this because I thought it was kind of funny like in what world can someone sit at a table ask for a recommendation of a wine and be so duped into being given a $13,000 wine like she clearly lives in a different planet to us or on a different planet to us and it's like uh, we already knew that like it's Chrissy Teigen and John Legend they're rich <sighs> yeah and I get- they don't need to like we see photos of their house like is that flaunting their wealth we know they're richer than us but I think this is such a specific example like the thought of someone being able to spend $13,000 on a bottle of wine shows how broken the system is. And I know it's a serious take on it. I know you're going to roll your eyes. I'm rolling my eyes at myself. Like I'm drained by myself right now. However, I understand the backlash. I think it's missing the mark and I think it's not reading the room at all. If you are self-aware in the middle of the crisis that the US is in right now, This is not a tweet that you volunteer. It's not like this is a trend of most expensive food or most expensive recommendations that let you down. She volunteered this herself, put it out there, and I think it is so not reading the moment. 
I just still don't care. Yeah, like, I absolutely agree with you. We're always going to be on the same page about the fact that the system is broken. Like, there is no doubt about that. But it's like, is Chrissy Teigen writing a tweet about how she was duped into buying an expensive bottle of wine going to be the scapegoat for all of us? Mm-hmm. Like, I found this line from Forbes very interesting where in their article they wrote, next time, Teigen might want to keep these anecdotes to herself. There's a vanishingly small amount of people who could relate to that story. And it did make me think, like, what does relatability even mean? Like, how do you measure relatability and why are we so obsessed with it? Just because someone's not relatable, does that mean you don't want to hear their stories? I mean, arguably, I want to hear their stories more if they don't relate to me because Mm. I want to know the kind of life that they live. Mm. So I'm just like, what is our obsession with saying you can only share a story unless it relates to all of us because what's the yardstick for being relatable? Mm. Annabelle, what do you think? You've both made compelling points. (laughs) I think, I mean, I agree with you both, but I think if she didn't include the, we didn't finish it and had to be clear, that seems a bit... Yeah. Like, oh, another rogue point. <laughs> point. Yeah, interesting. Take it home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't think she realised it was $13,000 until she saw the right. bill. So the, the wine was cleared before they knew what it had cost. Yeah. Mm. So basically I'm right. <laughs> it, is, it is funny. Oh, it's yeah. funny. It's funny. My second story. I made a story who has been completely snubbed by the Golden Globes and people are not happy. That is from the Huffington Post. Yeah, this was a fascinating one this week. So I May Destroy You is, of course, the incredible series written, directed and starting by Michaela Cole. I haven't watched this and to be honest, I find content about sexual assault to be incredibly triggering. So I have avoided this entirely. I really don't know much about it. Have you watched it? No, I haven't. I think because when it was super hyped at the start, it wasn't available in Australia. So when I was desperate to find it, I couldn't find it. Mm. I am still very, very keen to watch it. But essentially it's a dark comedy drama that does follow a young woman who is trying to piece together what happened to her on a night out after she does realise that she has been drugged and raped. It is actually based on Michaela Cole's own experience. So a pretty remarkable, remarkable thing to be able to do, to pull on your own trauma, to write, to direct and to star in a television show. And I think that's why initially, and to be honest, still now, people are so in awe Mm. of the art that she created. To be able to do what she did takes incredible brains. It takes incredible creativity. And a lot of people were calling it genius. So what happened last week is the Golden Globes nominations came out and I May Destroy You was completely snubbed. And I know we always talk about snubbings of different award seasons, but I think what was so remarkable about this snubbing is it genuinely was one of the most if not the most critically acclaimed show of 2020 and then you had a show like Emily in Paris nominated in the comedy category. Emily in Paris to you. Oh yeah Emily in Paris (laughs) and I saw uh, I think it was a tweet or a comment somewhere on the internet which was like it's interesting that Emily in Paris was nominated in the comedy category because yes we were laughing but we were laughing at the absurdity of the show not with the absurdity of the show. Anyway what I found interesting about this story in particular Mish is the more we did some digging, the more it seems like the Golden Globes are famously irrelevant anyway. But I think to the public and understandably, it feels pretty ridiculous that a show like this is snubbed. Yeah, absolutely. Also, just one little tidbit, because when this story first came out, I found the juxtaposition of I May Destroy You and Emily in Paris to be a little bit confusing. Because my brain was like, of course, I May Destroy You should be nominated. And Emily in Paris is a little bit confusing to be there. But are they in the same category? I didn't actually realise I May Destroy You is considered a dark comedy drama. So they could have been in the same category. This could have been like a sub in, sub out scenario. And if that's the case, what the fuck is Emily in Paris doing in this award show? Even as someone who watched the entire thing, it's cringeworthy as fuck. It's so cringeworthy, but I think we've spoken about that on the podcast before. (laughs) I mean, looking at these nominations in their entirety anyway, there's commentary going around being like, oh, well, there are more female directors than ever kind of nominated in the Golden Globes. But I think the more important point to note is that these nominations, like any Hollywood award ceremony, is very, very white. Extremely white. Incredibly white. Now, there was a really good explainer on the ABC, Mish, which I – did you read it? About why the Golden Globes – Globes are very famously irrelevant and the point that ABC Arts's Hannah Reich made is that because of this year they are pushing to become even more irrelevant than ever. Yeah so look these awards are voted by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association also known as the HFPA that is a body that votes on the nominees and determines who actually wins these awards or who's up for them. It has 90 members and these members aren't exactly experts. It's not like these are the best people in the field who are the authority on what is good content or what is a great television series or movie or what have you, which is what I laugh about when it comes to award ceremonies in general. Like, 
the people creating the content are the true experts. The ones putting out I May Destroy You are the ones who know more about creating a great show and what makes a great show than 90 random members of a club who only have to file a couple of pop culture related stories every year and that's their only level to get in. And interestingly, a quote from a TV critic Dan Barrett to this ABC piece, which we will put in the show notes, said, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has under 90 members who maintain membership, as Mish said, by filing no more than a handful of news stories each year for publications that aren't required to have any readership levels or prestige. You could be a blogger. That's the exact point. It's like these aren't writers necessarily from Vanity Fair. These are kind of people from anywhere. Now, as much as we say the awards are now irrelevant because a show like I May Destroy was snubbed, it's kind of a simplistic way to look at it because this stuff still does matter. Mm. Dan Barrett did give another quote to the ABC who said the awards give plenty of publicity and helps position movies and actors as potential nominees in upcoming legitimate awards like the BAFTAs and the Oscars. The Golden Globes are kind of like the run-up to the Oscars. Like you look at the nominations and there generally is quite quite a bit of overlap so in that sense it does matter like mm. yes they are irrelevant quote unquote but they still matter mm. and they still count for so much like I mean we're talking about them right here right and this would have been I imagine quite upsetting to someone like Michaela Cole who put out from all accounts an incredible TV series yeah exactly and I think it'll be really interesting to see whether the Oscars pivot and make a deliberate effort I think to include a show like I May Destroy You given its reputation in the last year my third story Nick Kyrgios wipes girlfriend from Instagram after cryptic post that is from news.com and we are obviously in the centre of the Australian Open so what better way to celebrate than with a story about Nick Kyrgios I care so much about Nick Kyrgios having this fight with his girlfriend and I love this because this headline is the most recent but it's also now out of date. So Nick Kyrgios, who is of course number 47 in the world of tennis, made headlines because he had wiped his girlfriend from his Instagram account. Also his girlfriend, Kiara Pasari, took to her Instagram story and wrote a few cryptic things that raised some eyebrows. One of those things was, cheaters always want you to be loyal while they're being unfaithful. But things seem to have rebounded back to practically normal. Nick Kyrgios unarchived all the images of his girlfriend. They're now back on his profile. He has given interviews to press at the Australian Open about how wonderful his girlfriend is, how supportive she is, and by all accounts, things are okay. So it's like they've had one big public fight, which is like <laughs> clearly now a public fight, tried to break up with each other but have got back together and we're all kind of like, but we saw what happened already. Which I love. Like I yeah. feel like it's the one great equaliser that we all have massive fights with our partner. Not to this degree, like this seems quite fiery. but we all Cheaters have- always want you to be loyal <laughs> while they're being unfaithful. If you see that on my Instagram story, honestly, put me to bed. But I just love like the equalising factor of you guys had a massive row. You had a huge lover's tiff and now things are fine, but like the entire world knows. I know. Is there a difference between deleting posts and archiving posts on Instagram? Yes. Oh my God. You can tell you don't have anything to do with our Instagram. So you can archive things and then bring them back. So if I posted something yesterday, got onto our account today and was like, I find that cringeworthy now, I can archive it. But if I change my mind tomorrow, I can bring it back straight away. So God bless Nick Kyrgios. So he only archived, he didn't delete. So he probably thought maybe this is like a break scenario, not a full breakup. Yeah. Like I don't want to go all the way. <laughs> I want to be able to bring this back to life if I can. My fourth story, I mean, kind of on the same theme. Instagram star Hannah Orville takes a swipe at AFL player ex-boyfriend Cameron Zerha for moving on nice and quick from their relationship. That is from the Daily Mail. This is actually quite a similar story. For those who may not know who Hannah Orville is, she is an Instagram influencer, I would say, but grew her following because she was the youngest of the Orville family. Her brothers, Mitch and Dylan, are famous for the Angry Dad videos where they would kind of like do all these things to prank their father and they were very funny videos. We have also actually had Mitch on the podcast before, so that's also where that Orville name might be familiar. She posted on Instagram this week an Instagram story that said, for all the girls messaging me overnight with photos, <laughs> myself and Cam split up just a couple of days ago thanks for all your support and letting me know just in case it's nice to see that he's moved on so nice and quick I love this so much what a power play from Hannah this was crafted by the gods Hannah impeccable like this is 10 out of 10 writing for all the girls messaging yeah, me like overnight how many, how many girls have like taken photos of him doing some dirty things and then to add like it's nice to see that he's moved on so nice and quick just so sassy so dry 10 out of 10. 10 out of fucking 10. There was a News.com article about this. In fact, this made quite a few newspapers, <laughs> if I'm honest, which makes me laugh a lot. 
where the journalist wrote, it comes just a couple of weeks since Orville posted photos of the former couple cuddled up and smooching. Like, who wrote this? Me? Her photos with Zerha remain prominently on her Instagram profile as a shrine to their ended relationship. Really weird wording. As a shrine to their ended relationship. What does that even mean? Well, surely the news.com.au journalist is trying to imply that Hannah likes the tag of a wag and wants to position herself as one. But I would say to this journalist, exactly, I would say to this journalist, she literally has a profile, like a public profile, that I would say is about 10 times the size of this AFL player. So like, why are we positioning her (laughs) as the one who needs him to boost her profile? She's had a big profile for a very long time. She doesn't need Cam Zerha. No, she doesn't. She does have 276,000 followers if you want to start there. So she does have a very big profile. And as we said, Hannah, 10 out of 10 work. And Hannah, if you're going to want to delete the photos of Cam Zerha, maybe just archive them. (laughs) Young love, you never know what could be researched. Trust me. Some of us have got back together a lot of times, a lot of people. Story number five, my favourite story of the week. Kim Kardashian reveals Northwest's gorgeous painting of mountains and fans are impressed. That is from Hollywood Life. And Mish, this story has quite a few layers. This week's Quick and Dirty was just crafted by the Quick and Dirty (laughs) gods. Like, I'm obsessed with every single story. So if you missed this, Kim Kardashian put up what would otherwise be an innocuous Instagram story of a pretty painting, a very pretty painting, a painting that I would say would be done by a professional. Only she added the caption, my little artist, North, in the corner of this beautiful landscape, mountain, lake, tree vibe painting. You can see a child's writing with a smiley face of North. Now, call me an idiot. I don't entirely buy that a seven-year-old girl can be capable of a Picasso-esque painting. Here's the thing. (laughs) If you haven't seen the painting, go to our Instagram at Shameless Podcast. It is in our feed. If you are driving, just let me tell you a seven-year-old didn't paint this. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't have the chance to look at it, it has got depth, it's got reflections, it's got God knows a lot of shading. We posted it on Instagram. In the comment section, big shout out to listener Lauren Murray. (laughs) Welcome to the show. She commented, it looks oddly similar to the work of North's friend Ryan, who is Tracy Romulus's daughter. Now, Tracy Romulus is actually a great friend of the Kardashians. She is, what, one of their, works for all their businesses? She's been close friends with the Kardashians for 15 years and is the chief marketing officer of KKW Brands. So think the fragrances, the beauty line, skims, all of it, she's the CMO. Tracy jumps into our comment section <laughs> and says to Lauren, the girls are learning oil painting techniques and being taught by the same art instructor. The curriculum is the same, but the paintings are original and each child's own interpretation. Tracy, thank, thank you for the exclusive. Thank you for the exclusive. So it does turn out that the kids have an art instructor that's probably like Banksy or something <laughs> holding their hands. Anyway, I will acknowledge Kim Kardashian wasn't happy with the publicity of this story. She wasn't happy with people that joked around that her child didn't write this. And I will give her the credit of reading out Her quote, she posted on her Instagram story, The Daylighter, in capitals, don't play with me when it comes to my children. How dare you see children doing awesome things and then cry to accuse them of not being awesome. Please stop embarrassing yourselves with the negativity and allow every child to be great. In capitals again, Northwest painted that period. Now, she also screenshotted a fuckload of tweets, Mish, that were mocking the painting. I was kind of worried that we might have popped up and then I thought I might have been flattering ourselves too much, that we'd even be on her radar. And look, if she did, that's fine, but it's not that serious. Like, I adore Kim Kardashian. I like a lot of things about Kim Kardashian West. However, it kind of drains me when it's like, is it that serious? Like, do you have to slam people for having a joke? You're the one who put this out and led us to this. If she had written a caption, look how incredible North's artwork is getting under the guidance of and tag the art instructor, people would believe it. I believe that maybe she's getting lessons from this incredible person who's basically picking up her hand (laughs) and dotting things on a page. Do I believe a seven-year-old child sat down at a table and this just came out of their brain when that's their signature and they put a smiley face on the end? Fuck no, I don't. But Kim Kardashian let us here. She left out information that's very important that the average kid doesn't get. And I bet if a lot of us had professional art instructors doing a set curriculum with oil paint we'd be able to do this too. In fact, if anyone wants to teach me how to oil paint, I'd love to recreate this. I would love the same instructor because I would be able to do similar work. I'm sure Northwest is a very talented child, all things aside. Is that all for today's Quick and Dirty? That is all I've got. Thank you so much. It's Brittany, bitch.
Well, 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 it has not been the best week for old mate Justin Timberlake. Just as the Framing Britney Spears New York Times doco was released to the world, we celebrated the 2021 Super Bowl. Why is that relevant, you ask? Well, the Super Bowl isn't just a huge moment in sport, it's a huge moment in pop culture. And now, a reminder of one of the most pivotal moments in celebrity history. In fact, in some circles, it's not Super Bowl Day anymore, it's Janet Jackson Appreciation Day, a day to reflect on the moment that Janet Jackson's career was effectively blown to smithereens when, in the middle of her duet performance, Justin Timberlake reached across, pulled at her corset and revealed her breast to more than 100 million people. Zara, 17 years have now passed, but the commentary on this moment in history is perhaps more feverish now than it has been in over a decade. In fact, earlier this week, Janet Jackson was trending on Twitter, as was the term nipplegate. We actually re-watched this entire performance in the office together yesterday. What stood out about the actual performance itself to you? That 2004 looks like it was a long time ago. Because 2004 doesn't sound like it was a long time ago, but when you watch a performance like this, particularly in comparison to The weekend's performance Mm. um, on Monday's Super Bowl Australian time, like how much the world has changed in – I mean, it has been 17 years, so it's heaps. But it did look like it was kind of a bit of a time warp. So it was February 1, 2004, as you said, Mish, where Janet Jackson performed at the Super Bowl. I think Diddy or P. Diddy or whatever he goes by now also performed. Massive furry jacket, by the way. Way, guys go watch it Nelly was there my <laughs> old love Nelly I loved Nelly and Justin Timberlake came on stage it was actually broadcast to 143.6 million viewers so the halftime show actually gets far more eyes than the actual Super Bowl itself mm. Janet Jackson was on stage singing Rock Your Body which is a very famous Justin Timberlake tune we won't sing it because we can't but I also hate when podcasters sing I, on their podcast it's like that's not your talent please don't <laughs> and also what is your talent um, <laughs> anyway, ja- Justin, talking shit. Yeah, <laughs> Justin Timberlake came on stage to sing the song with her. In the last few seconds of the song, the line is, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song. And he ripped her boob shield off. Yeah, her bralette kind of thing. This is what I found interesting too, right? Like after reading so much about this moment and after it existing in the social consciousness for so long, I had forgotten that fact that this happened, that her breast with, I'll add, a nipple cover, like a bejeweled nipple cover on it, was exposed at the exact time of saying, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song. And that fact makes me not buy the excuse that this was all a wardrobe malfunction. Like, after this happened, Justin and Janet came out, they apologised, MTV, the production company behind this, said it was all an accident and mistake. I don't know if that adds up. I think it's more likely that this was planned, that she put the bejeweled nipple cover on and it just didn't land with the primetime audience of hundreds of millions of American families. Now, also, I didn't realise how brief this was, that this is such a wildly known moment in pop culture, but it only happened for nine sixteenths of a second before the cameras panned away and did a different shot. I actually will put the link in our show notes to this because I would recommend you watching the end of the performance. It's remarkable how quickly the camera pans off her boob once they realise exactly what has happened. Mm. I agree with you. It's pretty hard to look at the facts now and say it wasn't a publicity stunt, but I think the thing that I want to talk about today is how she was made a scapegoat for that publicity stunt gone wrong and nobody else was held accountable. Following the incident, the backlash was was so incredibly swift. First and foremost, the NFL announced that MTV, who are producing the halftime show, would never be involved in Super Bowl halftime shows in the future, which Mm. I find kind of incredible. When it comes to Janet Jackson, I have a list of things that happened to her in the weeks after this incident. And keep in mind too, while we read these out, that Justin Timberlake was the same player here. He was actually the one ripping off the top. And the one singing his own song about nakedness. Yes, exactly. So Viacom CEO Les Moons, who is actually well known because he was the former head of CB Yes, he was also written about pretty heavily during the Me Too movement. He had to leave his post as the head of CBS because of allegations of sexual misconduct ordered straight away after this happened that Janet Jackson's singles and music videos be blacklisted from all its properties. Viacom is huge. So they own CBS, MTV, its radio station group, Infinity Broadcasting, also VH1. So he's blacklisted her from all of these places. She was also intended to appear at the 46th Grammy Awards the following week, Mm -hmm. but her invitation was withdrawn. Interestingly, Mish, but perhaps not surprisingly, Justin Timberlake was still allowed to attend and perform at the event. She had been cast to play the lead 
lead in a Lena Horne biopic but was forced to resign. A statue of Mickey Mouse wearing Jackson's iconic Rhythm Nation outfit was removed. And because Viacom blacklisted her, her new album was her lowest selling album since 1984. Yeah, I really want to dive into why this hysteria took place. And I think we really need to hone in on the NFL itself and the kind of homes that this scene was broadcast into. I think it's really important to think back to 2004 and how white and how conservative the NFL was at that time. It still is today. Do not get me wrong. I'm not defending the NFL. But I think the intersection of a black woman and a black powerful woman who is embracing her sexuality intersecting with deeply religious families in the Bible Belt was crucial to what happened here. So the socially conservative media watchdog Parents Television Council, the PTC, issued a statement condemning the halftime show and announcing that all their members would be filing complaints. The FCC, which is the national media watchdog that's independent, received 540,000 complaints from Americans, more complaints than any other moment in American TV history. A Democratic senator, a white one from Georgia, said on the floor of the United States Senate that the incident pointed to, and I quote, declining morality in America. So this was seen as like everything that's going wrong in the world. And I think Jackson's race really played a role here because unfortunately, I think not only do we not like women taking control of their sexuality, we don't like black women being in predominantly white spaces doing exactly that. Yeah, and I think the reason that I wanted to kind of go back over this today is my memory of this incident was really surfacy. Like I really hadn't dived into the aftermath or how her career was essentially derailed after that performance. And like have a think about it. Janet Jackson's still in the public eye, but she's nowhere near what she was when she was performing at the halftime show. I mean, to perform at the halftime show anyway, you've got to be one of the most talked about performers of that year. Mm. I think another interesting piece of context here is – It happened in an election year and I think every time you go back and read commentary about this incident, everyone's like the fact that it happened in an election year was really important. There was a quote that Janet Jackson actually gave herself where she said that it happened in an election year did have a great deal to do with it. They needed something to focus on instead of the war and I was the perfect vehicle for that. This happened three years after 9-11. There were wars going on. Public discourse, particularly in America, was incredibly, incredibly conservative. George Bush actually even came out and criticised the incident. So with all of this in mind, as you say, Mish, you've got a white man and a black woman performing together and then you've got her body exposed to the world and we crucified her for it. We derailed her career because of it. And meanwhile, Justin Timberlake was nicknamed Teflon Man by People magazine because nothing ever happened. Yeah. And let's not beat around the bush either. We didn't even see that much skin. Her nipple was covered. Cardi B and other pop stars today would do this and no one would bat an eye. But because some extra flesh, like not just your cleavage, but your side boob as well, (laughs) everyone lost their fucking minds. It's just crazy to me. What I love though, and what I want to talk to you a bit about is I don't want Janet Jackson to just be depicted as this poor woman who had no control over her situation, because I actually think how she handled this was super inspirational. And I want to tip my hat to Janet Jackson, because I think what she did was a testament to who she is as a person and how she backs herself. So after this incident, the bosses at Viacom demanded like a groveling personal apology. So that boss that you quoted before, Les Mooms, he said, if you guys want careers to Justin and Janet, you need to call me and I want a groveling apology from you that'll never happen again. Justin Timberlake did that and Janet Jackson refused. So she said, I'm not doing that. I'm not apologising for something that wasn't my fault. And I really respect that. I love the fact that she backed herself. I also love the fact that, yes, maybe her next album was not her highest performing that she'd ever had. But her next album, Demeter Joe, was still certified platinum. It sold three million copies worldwide. It was nominated for a Grammy. Like, despite the entire industry trying to squash her, she still had moments of profound success despite it all, even when every white person in the room told her she couldn't have a seat at the table. Well, and didn't play her music. It's pretty incredible that three million copies were even able to be sold after all of this happened. Like, I don't think that's an overstatement. And it just makes me think how many more could have been sold if this didn't happen and Mm. she wasn't made the scapegoat. I mean, uh, Justin Timberlake, I know we've spoken about him a couple of times through (laughs) this episode. He's had a bad, not just a bad week, but a bad couple of years. And I think it's because he's been protected for so long that perhaps elements of his true character are really coming to the fore. I mean, there was a quote that he gave two 
years after this happened where he said, in my honest opinion now, I could have handled it better. I'm part of a community that consider themselves artists and if there was something that I could have done in her defence that was more than I realised then, I would have. But the other half of me was like, wow, we still haven't found weapons of mass destruction and everybody cares about this. Like even still two years on, firstly, was the first time he said, yeah, I probably could have handled myself better. It was also the first time we probably got a proper apology. But he also said here two things. Firstly, if I could have done more for her defence then, I would have but it's like Mm. he could have done so much more and what's with the destruction of weapons of mass destruction like he could have just as easily gone to the Grammys that next week and said why isn't Janet Jackson here and made a real point of that or he could have just not gone in solidarity yeah I think if he's being honest with himself he was far more invested in protecting his own career and his own trajectory to success than he was defending his friends they were friends at the time this happened from an absolute public roasting that was deeply unfair like Justin Timberlake is lying to himself if he thinks that he did as much as he could because he didn't at the Grammys if he was gonna go every interview he did he should have said where is Janet Jackson why am I invited and why was her invite thrown in the rubbish because it doesn't make sense anything else he wants to wheel out. One fun fact I want to include in this segment, Zara, is that this moment in pop culture and celebrity history is literally the reason we have YouTube. So about a year after this all happened in Silicon Valley, a trio of what Rolling Stone called tech bros from PayPal was sitting around at dinner and they were speaking about this moment and how heavily censored it was by big media companies. So obviously Viacom doesn't want imagery of Janet Jackson's breast out there if it's so controversial. So lots of TV networks were like squash it, squash it, squash it, don't let it go anywhere. But this was like the advent of the internet. So Chad Hurley, Stephen Ken and Jawad Karim were all in their mid-20s and late-20s and thought we need to create a platform where people can access this video footage, kind of like a Google for video. This was the first viral video and a year later, YouTube was launched because of it. And isn't that interesting because the term Janet Jackson was the most searched person and term of 2004 and 2005. Mm. The incident broke the record for the most search event over one day. And another fun fact, Mish, the term wardrobe malfunction was coined as a result of the incident and was eventually added to the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary. Wow. Guys, call the hotline if you have any strong thoughts about this. We'd love to see where you stand. If calling the hotline isn't your thing we have introduced Zara on our Instagram account a new weekly segment every Friday we do your say Friday so we poll you guys and we hear your thoughts on the episode where you stand on every single topic you can take part by kind of like voting in our polls using a little slider function answering some of our questions we would love to hear from you if you want to participate in your say Friday or even look at where the listeners have stood on past episodes, head to at Shameless Podcast on Instagram, click on any of our highlights. We save every single one. Yeah, we do. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we will be back in your ears on Monday with another In Conversation. But between now and then, we are on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Book Club or Instagram, as Mish said, at Shameless Podcast. I think that is all for now. Thanks so much. I think it is. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.